0: Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. Jose, welcome to this week in machine learning and AI.
1: Thank you for having me here.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So why don't we get started by having you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in the machine learning world.
1: Well, it's a long story, probably, uh, that um, many people in the area would share. Uh, as a child, <laughs> I had my first computers, and I, sometimes I thought, how can I make this computer think? Uh-huh. And at the times I had, well, probably it's not very uh, common here in the, in the States, but in, in Europe, there was this ZX yeah, Spectre, mm-hmm. which is kind of a Commodore, the early computer, the early okay. personal computers you have. Like 4K. the Sinclair? Yeah, Sinclair. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I had that one with 48Ks of uh-huh. memory. <laughs> and, I, and at some point I started to play with some kind of uh, basic ideas of of logic because you you, you have that at high school. And you think, okay, this is about thought. And then, well, uh, even I, I just. Played a little bit with kind of probabilistic versions of that. Now it's completely naive from the point of view of, of, well, well, you know, the things are much more complicated than that. But well, you try as a teenager and all of that. And then, well, because of all of that, I I started computer science. But at some point when I I completed that, I felt that what I really liked was AI. That, of course, I was from the beginning, but I didn't see that much AI, just one subject during a five year degree in a SEC. Can it be that you do computer mm. science? Mm-hmm. No machine learning at the time. It was a winter. This was what this this the 90s. Right. So and I decided I have to do a, a PhD. Well, at that time it was a, a, an MSc and, and, and a PhD on something different, more AI. It wasn't it wasn't that easy to find something, it was all about these expert systems. And I said, right. this is not exactly AI yeah. Yeah. for yeah. me. This well, this is and at some point, um, I did a PhD on something related to... I started with deduction. I still, uh, I thought the reasoning was a lot about logic and all of that. And at some okay. point, no, no, no. This is more about inductive inference, about learning. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then I moved a little bit um, to machine learning at some point. Then uh, when I started as an academic uh, at some point, I was really concerned... And that was from the beginning about how to certify at some point that mm-hmm. the system has some capabilities or how, to, how you would uh, say that the system is able to do something. Okay. Uh, so that some kind of evaluation of these systems. Mm-hmm. And of course, at that, at that time, you, uh, people already knew about the, the, the Turing test. And I was also interested in psychometric tests. Okay. I've been talking about 20 years ago, so it's a long okay. time. Okay. And then, uh, well, because you, you at that time, uh, machine learning started to flourish in with applications. The, the terms data mining became fashionable at that time,
0: uh-huh. and
1: I, I also worked on um, building different kinds of classifiers. I was involved in ICML uh, for some periods uh, in, in terms of, of, of trying to submit papers. So that's basically a, a traditional um, um let's say, a career in trying to get into the field of machine learnings in the in the 2000. Mm-hmm. And, and then at some point, uh, about a few years ago, I I recovered some of these ideas because I was working on evaluation of classifiers. Okay, So things like ROC curves and how to evaluate uh, a system for a range of contexts rather so related to cost-sensitive learning mm-hmm. and things like that. And I said, okay, but some of these ideas could be linked to the evaluation of AI as well, and how to evaluate some other more general systems. And at some point, and uh, I started to work on this, I, this area that I call AI evaluation. And I, and I saw that there was a lot of things to do there. It's perhaps not an area where people prefer talking about building things. And mm-hmm. when you say, no, but I like to evaluate what you do. Well, you're on the other side, like you... You are not uh, um, an engineer in AI. But I I thought that this was really important. And and whenever I talk to people, uh, well, uh, we need to know where we are, where we are going. So it's important we have uh, very good measurement instruments. And at the moment, we don't have very good instruments in AI because it's it's evolving so fast. And we are also focused on uh, particular um, challenges and tasks that we are not really sure whether our systems are really progressing. We mm-hmm. have a feeling, and of course, there's a kind of objectivity there that our systems are much better now because yeah. we are able to solve more. But at some point, I said that there's, there's a gap here, so and I tried to recover some of the old ideas with new ideas, tried to see what people were doing in terms of evaluate, evaluating not only machine learning, but AI in general, also robotics. Mm-hmm. And I started uh, to work on these areas. and then about uh, one year ago, I wrote a book about this, I've been involved in the organization of several events around AI evaluation, okay. so all of these things. And now I'm, I'm here at the last year I mean, <laughs> at this uh, Center for the Future Intelligence in Cambridge where they're doing uh, which they, this idea of AI evaluation goes well with some of the general objectives of the uh, of this center. And basically, I'm, I'm, I'm still really, really enthusiastic about machine learning and AI and awesome. see what's going
0: on. Awesome. What's the title of your book?
1: Well, the title is The Measure of All Minds Evaluating Natural and Artificial Intelligence. So it it covers AI evaluation, but also it it puts that in in the context of how uh, natural intelligence is evaluated. Animals, Mm -hmm. not human animals, and humans. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of animal cognition, how tests that you can use, for instance, for development in in children, or tests that you would use to test... uh, or maybe IQ tests. what's the relation between right. IQ tests and what we are doing in AI? And then the first answer is perhaps nothing. <laughs> and, but there's something that you scratch a little bit on the surface, you find uh-huh. connections. And I think these interesting questions, some of these connections are, are developed in, in the book, for instance.
0: I would love to dig into that a little bit in a little bit more detail. But first, I'd like you to describe the symposium that you helped organize here at NIPS called the Kinds of Intelligence, right?
1: Yes. Um, So it was around a a project that we have at the Center of the Future of Intelligence in in Cambridge, UK. Uh, This project is called Kinds of Intelligence. So Mm -hmm. at some point there was a suggestion uh, to uh, propose a a symposium on some of the ideas of how to characterize the different kinds of intelligence that that we know of at the moment. Mm -hmm. Not only human intelligence, but also uh, uh, non-human animal intelligence, natural intelligence. Mm -hmm. And... How to locate AI in this landscape mm-hmm. of intelligence? So that was the the original idea of the symposium, and then at some point we developed that idea into three strands. The first strand was to get to to understand this space mm-hmm. and and to see where um, AI is just represented as a subset of human intelligence or something completely different that is taking us to different places. So. Mm-hmm trying to analyze this landscape a little bit from different perspectives, and we wanted to have different perspectives from from, uh, animal cognition and from uh, human cognition as well, for Mm -hmm. human intelligence and development. And the second strand um, was about uh, how to test all of this, Mm -hmm. and of of course I had some influence in in, (laughs) in having this strand in in the symposium. It was, okay, now we have this landscape, but how can we locate where we are? Right. Uh, and so you, you, we are moving in some direction, but can we say, okay, we, what are they, the dimensions of this landscape mm-hmm. and how can we certify that the system is moving in that direction? Mm-hmm. And the third one was, okay, if we are able to answer all these questions, which, which of course uh, um, sound uh, very abstract and challenging. The, the third question is, now that we are able to understand this landscape where we are, the question is where we want to go. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the third strand of the symposium about uh, what are the priorities for, the so- for society and whether these priorities uh, we are uh, uh, perhaps, I wouldn't say the low-hanging fruits because some of the recent challenges are really, really challenging, but mm-hmm. sometimes we are, are motivated by things that are and doable in with with current technology, mm-hmm. rather than perhaps aiming at the the, the really important problems, mm-hmm. because you are not going to have a success in a matter of one two years. So it's right. more like a long term project that perhaps academia or even government can be interested, but in perhaps companies. Mm-hmm. Well, this is changing because the, the the tech giants are also interested now in long term uh, right. goals. But all of this, and also some areas that we might reach at some point in the future, perhaps even in the near future, mm-hmm. that are perhaps dangerous or unethical. But if we don't know where we are, it is very difficult also to assess the progress right. and the directions that we want to take. So we have that, and we, in the end, w- yesterday, we had a fantastic lineup of speakers. I saw that. Yeah, from different areas. So uh,
0: It seemed very interdisciplinary, very diverse in terms of the, the viewpoints that folks came from.
1: Yeah, we have people from, uh, from animal cognition, from uh, human intelligence. We had people from, of course, from AI, uh, from different perspectives from AI. People uh, uh, perhaps more in favor about a more orthodox approach to AI, where you you would like to uh, to learn from a lot of examples, more in, in alignment with the with with NIPS. People are a little more contrarian to this view, where you okay, what about the learning more human-like? or more with a, a, a few examples, or more hypo- hypothesis-driven rather than mm-hmm. data-driven. And we had a very interesting discussion in, in in the second session about this, different okay. perspectives. Also, we had people from the first session coming and asking questions to the people of the second session. It was very active. And the third session was a little bit about this society and some of the risks, right. and and some of the things that, that people are talking that we are going to see in the future. Like, uh, at some point, the discussion, it was... Also, indeed, it was the right moment also to talk about, at some point, things like corporations having a lot of power, and, and there was a moment where where there was this link about AI in the future uh, could resemble some of the uh, um, corporations that we have at the moment or that we have had in the past two centuries, and they are, they have a lot of power. So that, that, that perhaps we can link some of the risks to some things that we have already seen. So not everything that, that is coming is new in terms of, of the effects on society. Interesting,
0: interesting. Maybe we can take these these three strands in turn and spend a, a little bit of time, kind of having you characterize the landscape before diving a little bit deeper into the measurement and your research in mm-hmm. that area, and then we'll f- we'll finish up with some of the directional uh, stuff that you discussed. So what is that? Landscape look like? How do you characterize the way folks are thinking about the kinds of intelligence?
1: Yeah, that's that's a really challenging problem uh, mm-hmm. because we uh, the first thing is we disagree on our notion of intelligence. Uh, some people even say that the, the, the term intelligence should be eliminated from our discourse, and we would, we <laughs> should only focus on uh, or, or even just use the word learning and, and forget about intelligence. Mm-hmm. Some people's. Uh, because we have these two different views of, of, of intelligence. I would call one extremist, we negate that there's such a thing as, as intelligence. And some of these people, perhaps you can also have some of uh, these people from um, even from machine learning saying, we have the no free lunch theorem, so even if you design a, a system to solve this problem. There are some other problems for which there are other systems that will be optimal for these problems, but not for the first problem, and the other way around. So this this idea of just having more general systems or more intelligent systems is nonsense. Well, I would argue against that.
0: And mm-hmm. then you have
1: the other extreme.
0: It seems like you know being intelligent is is very different from being optimal at everything, which is kind of what this this no free lunch theorem seems to argue against.
1: Yeah. Well, the thing that that is, that's assuming that our world is random in a way. You have this Uh block uniformity as an assumption, which is, well, a special case is that the data you receive is random. So if that's the case, well, the the theorem is a theorem, that's a proof, and you say, okay, so any uh, machine learning argument will be equally good or equally bad at. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, the assumption is assuming something very, very strong that basically our universe is completely chaotic and it's not like wow there are patterns right and and they are, they are patterns not because the laws of physics mm-hmm. they are patterns because what we receive go uh, goes through humans animals devices so not just to explain this a little bit more technical when you have a, a, a Turing machine or any machine it doesn't have to be a Turing machine but just any machine and you put random inputs what mm-hmm. you get as an output is not random at all, right? Right. So what we see in our world, because it's just going through all of these filters, and these filters are machines in a way. But it's, a mach- it's, just, it's an animal, or it's you, or it's a, 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 a thermostat, or something like that. What you get as a result has patterns, and then you can explore these patterns. And in, if that's the case, then, then then the assumptions for the no, no freelance lunch theorem don't uh, don't hold. In, in that scenario. But well, that will be like, uh, sometimes it gets a little bit philosophical, that, that question. But that's, that's one, one extreme. So you have like infinitely many intelligences and this links a little bit with, with to psychology where you say, okay, there's not such a thing as intelligence and you will have just many, the, the multiple intelligences theory. Right. Where you will be good at this, but you're not good at that. The other extreme is there's only one single intelligence and we hear that occasionally, especially uh, for some of these uh, discussions about superintelligence. And people think, of intelligence as something monolithic. And even some people try to assimilate intelligence in humans with IQ uh, values, which is, of course, a simplification. And in psychometrics, people will say, no, 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 this is just an indicator that it's useful to predict this and that, but you can't assimilate that uh, to intelligence, not people in. So the idea is you have to, to Infinitely many intelligence, and just one. Perhaps the, the virtue here is to think that intelligence is something with structure. So you can think as perhaps something like a general intelligence, but is related to some other abilities. Until you go down, some you can see this as in a hierarchical well. From from the top, where you would have something like a general ability or something like that, or more, and you go to some kind of uh, of skills until you reach the bottom, when you have a very uh, specific ability sorry a very specific task yeah so Mm -hmm. you go from very specific tasks you aggregate tasks into so you put let's say these skills general intelligence you have these these you can have many levels as you want sure and and that gives you a structure okay so when we were to your question going back to your question about (laughs) the, the, the landscape of intelligence that's one way of looking at this landscape of intelligence so we can just look at the at this landscape at the bottom and we would have no structure, so there's no no interest in this landscape because we would have, okay, I'm, I'm able to solve this task, this task, this task, and I'm also able to solve these tasks, and these tasks are important commercially or whatever. That's interesting, but that's that's not. this is not going to give us a hint about what if I give you this new task? Can you tell us something about your system solving this hmm. task?
0: I mean, a lot of the research that we see today is kind of predicated on an assumption that if we you know, build towards very task-based intelligence that'll help us understand and get towards a general intelligence. I'm thinking of things like AlphaGo, right? That's, yeah. Maybe maybe task is too limited to, for what it's doing, but it's solving a very specific problem. But the only reason why they're doing that is because of this hope that it'll get us towards a higher level, more general intelligence.
1: Yeah, I think that the, the, the program... The program is, uh, they are having, for instance, in DeepMind with, with AlphaGo, uh, Alpha AlphaGo Zero and Alpha Zero. We had that, that talk yesterday, uh, right. Damien g- gave uh, an excellent uh, talk yesterday and people were talking about Alpha AlphaStar at, okay. at the end of mm-hmm. the session. He made a very good point in one of the questions uh, about, okay, what well, we are interested in, perhaps we have to put uh, a, a lot of bias to solve alpha uh, or, well, there was a discussion about we'll call it bias or knowledge or uh, to solve alpha go, then we, uh, and human knowledge, we can remove that and mm-hmm. call it alpha uh, go zero. Still, there's some knowledge or something. You have to put the rules of the game, for instance. But then there's a third stage that you can even make this uh, general enough to cover some other games. And then you have this alpha zero, which mm-hmm. is... Uh, so this line of progress that we see is really interesting because you're going for a very specific task, right. using a lot of knowledge, which is very difficult to adapt to uh, just a small change of that, uh, and you need a lot of effort to, to succeed for that task. Mm-hmm. To a system where you, you you can have, even if you have to put still some knowledge, the rules and, and that, the system is able to do much more independently, much more autonomously. Mm-hmm. And then you have a, a, a third step in this progress where you have a system that is more general. Still, this system is only able to solve some kind of board games mm-hmm. if you give the rules. But that, will, that sounds amazing in terms of just 10 years ago, that you right. could have just right. one single system, just give the rules of any board game. And perhaps we don't know because you need to do all of the experiments, but perhaps for, for a wide range of board games, you, you have a system that is, is much better than humans for all of them. This goes in that direction of bottom-up which is a, a very interesting... Uh, so you're getting more general. How general you can get, how interesting is to have something like a very general system without bias at all was, some of the discuss- was one of the, uh, uh, the topics for discussion yesterday. I think that in some case we have this discussion about the, the kinds of tasks we are interested in. And some people say we are interested in those tasks that humans are, are well at, are good at, but perhaps there's some other tasks that, that people are very bad at and mm-hmm. they are really really interesting as complementary to what we're we doing so it's not easy to uh, to map this space but uh, I think that's perhaps uh, a, a very important challenge and' uh, it's, it's I wouldn't say that we are playing with fire but we are, we, are, we are doing a lot of great things without really understanding where we are and, mm. and perhaps just uh, trying to analyze the connection between tasks what the tasks have in common, because we say, okay, test and go have something in common. Right. But can we extrapolate what alpha star is able to do with robotic navigation? You would say, oh, it's a completely different system. You can, you can reuse some of the ideas, but of course, this system is not meant to solve this kind of task. Right. So it's not generally not. But the human, even if it is not that good, it's not optimal for any of the stacks. So so we go to this idea of intelligence being second best at everything. Mm. You don't mm-hmm. have to be the best. So and we move away as well from this idea that your child is a genius at something. Right. But very bad at all the rest. Right. So intelligence is something in the middle. You're not the best for everything, but also it's not this idea you are very good at just one thing. Mm. Because mm-hmm. you, you wouldn't call that intelligence. That's that's the narrow approach mm-hmm. to AI. So I think this, this is basically the interesting part to categorize what, it is, uh, what we have in the middle, this kind of a structure of intelligence and relation between tasks and, and how, can we, how uh, we can extrapolate from what a system is able to do to other tasks. And, and it's, it's a question of applicability in machine learning and AI. Uh, sometimes uh, and what about I have this task? Can I use your technique? Mm-hmm. And you have all these discussions you will need to change. It's not only that you have to um to train all the hyperparameters, sometimes you have to change the architecture completely. Right. right and right. we have all of these discussions about general IT in, in AI, in machine learning. And so this landscape tries to uh to uh, to give some kind of conceptualization about this. Of course, that's I don't think there's going to be one way of looking at this landscape, mm-hmm. but if there are different proposals, and in some areas, at least there's some, you can say, okay, what about um, a number of examples that you need, a training course, you can put some dimensions and you can plot some systems according to these dimensions. You say, okay, I'm here and I want to go there. Mm-hmm. And humans are perhaps at, at, at that corner, right? and we know where we are, but we need to do more of this. And mm-hmm. that was one of the motivations of, of the... Of the symposium and also some of the projects that we're having at the at the CFI as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so where does measurement fit in, and and uh, how has that led you to a specific uh, set of research that you work on?
1: Yeah, I and mean, I think measurement is is everywhere in science and technology. Sure. Uh, so uh, for me, it was a kind of a, a surprising to say, okay, we how how much we are progressing in in AI, especially and in machine learning. And we don't have very good measurement tools. We, of course, we have tasks, and we can say, okay, accuracy or some other metrics. Task performance, but, right? Yeah, metrics, right. With, with different, but where's that lacking? Yeah, the thing is that the question about measurement here is measurement for which tasks. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's the, the, the main question. Just for one single task, you can uh, put some kind of a metric of performance, and this is going to work well. And there's no objection if you even you have a utility function or even just some um, cost function, money associated with a task. That's perfectly okay. For instance, self-driving car. I think that's that's complex to find a good uh, metric, but it's clear that you can say, okay, these routes are more um, more frequent than others, accidents, uh, speed, right. things like that. You can put all of these in a formula right. and say, yeah, we want I want to maximize this. Yeah, but for uh, for. For some other systems, we want them to be more general. We don't have want we want we want a system that has very good verbal abilities. It's not this is too it's abstract. Gonna, right. uh, we don't really know how to do that. Well, so we can have a, a good translator. For even for machine uh, translation, it is there's a strong debate about the 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 evaluate, evaluation me- metrics mm-hmm. whether what you get is readable or you get the idea or what kind of mistakes are worse, because we are, t- we are entering an area where we have to talk about meaning and interpretations, human interpretations, about whether I think that this is a good translation. Of course, you can always say, okay, I can just uh, perform a lot of translations and have a human assess these translations from 0 to 10 or something like that, and you can have a metric. But in that case, you are not sure what you're really evaluating. Right. Uh, in contracts with, a, for instance, the, the self-driving car, which is kind of objective, in a way. So we find that even in robotics, uh, there was um, there were some discussions. For instance, in the for, uh, there were there have been several uh, European Union projects on robotics, and okay. one of those, one of these big meetings, there was someone uh, who said, "Okay, we are progressing. That, that that's some. And but can we really measure that?" Hmm. You say you solve these tasks, but we still have these tasks without being solved, and the system solves these tasks, but not the other tasks. So we have more because we solve more tasks because we have more robots. <laughs> so, a more sp- a specialization, but not really right. because we have one robot that is able to solve them. And in terms of, um, of uh, efficiency and economy, what we want in machine learning is to have systems that are able to solve a, a, a range of tasks without a lot of tweaking and tuning and changing architectures because that takes a lot of effort from teams and, the, and, and and we want to have systems that are easier to develop, that they require, for instance, less uh, data, all of these things. So having metrics around all of this is going to give us a, a better assessment of whether we are really progressing and especially at conferences or when we have one of these um, breakthroughs in AI, really understand whether this is a, a great Breakthrough. Mm-hmm. For instance, um, when I saw Alpha Alpha Go, mm-hmm. I was impressed, like everybody. I was like, sure. Come on, this is this is wow, this is so good. And but that was, for instance, the other day. I was more impressed about this system just learning Go uh, tests and this Japanese Go, this Japanese chess as well. And I was really, I think, for me, this is even uh, more important than what we saw two years ago. Right. Where, right. Um, But, well, this is my view, and uh, at some point, we would like to have some kind of metrics where we can say, okay, can we say something about what these systems are able to do and put that some kind of uh, even quantitative assessments of what, talking more in terms of skills and abilities rather than a specific task. So that's uh, basically the interest in measurement, and and, and now all of these... um, new trends about uh, evaluation using video games. I think this is uh, really, really uh, interesting.
0: But again... To describe that work. Is that like related to the reinforcement learning type yeah, of work? Yeah. Um,
1: we are having many platforms. Uh, for instance, we have uh, uh, Microsoft Research uh, launched uh, Malmo. Minecraft. Minecraft, which is a Malmo uh, platform. We have good AI uh, uh, released this, uh, well, it, now it's integrated in the AI universe, I open think. Open AI universe. Open AI universe, mm-hmm. and then you have DeepMind, where there are also the evaluation platforms and also some right. competitions using video games, and we also have these the Atari games and all. Mm-hmm. So we, in and a way, we see many evaluation platforms where we have a range of tasks as different video games, and we see that our systems have been evaluated according to how well they behave for this range of of games
0: it seems like relative to some of the you know relative to more kind of higher level or conceptual definitions of intelligence performance on a video game is more akin to evaluating a self-driving car what's my score how fast did i do it how you know how many times did i die things like that what makes these video game platforms interesting for the types of measurement that, that you want to get to?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. But I think that, in, in, in a way, a self-driving car is, even if it, perhaps it requires more technology, more different technologies than, for instance, a video game. A video game is a mini world, in, in a way. It's, a, it's an environment. Right. Of course, the self-driving the, the, the car is an environment, but the thing is that for, for video games, if you just define one video game, I see no difference, even of course, the self-driving the, the car is much more complex, much more interesting in terms of the, the, the technology that you need to solve it. But the, the, the good thing about video games is you usually include 20, 50, 100 video games, and then you have a range of tasks. And then we, we have a range of tasks, different tasks, even mm. if they're still, they are 2D or 3D and there are some kind of a shared uh, input-output uh, for, for these uh, platforms. There's there's um, the kind of... Uh, uh, so you're speaking
0: uh, to being able to kind of to demonstrate generalizability? Yeah,
1: that's, Generalization. that's, that's the idea. Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. So you try these games to be as diverse as possible right. in order to right. show that you are able to learn these tasks then if your system is good at all the tasks or just kind of, a, of even if it's not optimal at, at any of them, I think you have a kind of a general performance for this range of tasks. Mm-hmm. And the more general that you make this pool of tasks, you, you go... Up in this scale from bottom task specific uh, performance to more kind of a skills, or maybe to towards uh, you go up in this direction of more general intelligence. And that's what, of course, you can claim that even if you take 100 games, Atari games, that's a very specific subset of all the possible tasks that you might have. And that's true. But I think you, you can explore these first steps from bottom up from very specific tasks to more general. And you can also analyze all of these ideas about. Why is it that this system is good at these tasks but not at, at those tasks? Because and then we know like, oh, these tasks are more about abstract abstract thinking mm. or planning. So we see that for us, our reinforcement learning techniques, even if we are using um, deep learning with them, they are not very good at generalizing for this. So there are no solving these tasks well. So we can learn uh, uh, much more than we've just focused on one single problem that, in the end, if we put a lot of effort, we'll ace at that problem. At that perhaps how much of that effort is extrapolable to other problems, that's basically what we want. We want this generalization ability in, in machine learning.
0: Have you published any research that specifically looks at um, applying measurement to the, these video game scenarios?
1: I've taken two uh, two different approaches. The the there's an idealistic approach, which is basically going from first principles, which is basically in in my book and some related publications. say, uh, how can we define a set of tasks that, by definition, are necessary to show that the system has this ability? Mm. That would be great mm-hmm. because. Of course, you can say, okay, why 100 games? Why don't you use 1,000? Right. And why are these 100 games uh, sufficient uh, for this? Or, or
0: So you can kind of decompose the games to these set of, map them to these set of tasks and determine this game framework's ability to even assess intelligence at all. Is that one of the things?
1: Yeah, the idea is... is- Uh, that we can generate these tasks, rather than reuse tasks. uh, Mm. Some of these uh, platforms are generating games, uh, but if you generate a game uh, just randomly, you get something that is completely uh, meaningless usually, and it's not fun to play, uh, so you have a lot of random noise. You have have to put some structure into an environment to to make it appealing for humans and, and meaningful also even for machine learning. So the thing is, how can we generate these stars in, in a principal way so that we ensure that, and, and a key concept here is that you can define the notion of difficulty of the star, so you can have a scale of difficulty as well. And you can relate these stars in terms of that difficulty and what they have in common. The problem about this approach is that you can only generate, at least in principle or easily, you can generate some kind of very abstract environments, so a very simple environment. So that's one. I think that's that's a very good uh, way, but perhaps it, it might take uh, more efforts and more ideas just to make it work in practice. And the other one, uh, which is um, summarizing some papers, for instance, uh, last year the at the, um, at the European conference on AI, we had a paper on that, and maybe some other um, machine learning conferences. It's how to use for instance, one uh, technique from uh, psychology, from psychometric, item response theory, where you can characterize from a range of tasks, for instance, you take a competition, this is the, the video game playing competition. Mm-hmm. You take that, you take the results from last year, and you analyze, uh, the. you have, for instance, a 40 tasks, and you have uh, 30 competitors. And you analyze, uh, you just try to understand not only the, the performance of each of them, but you try to extract latent variables by analyzing this result matrix. Mm. And you try to analyze, okay, can I analyze the difficulty of the tasks or the relations between these tasks? Can I analyze the relation between the participants as well? And at the end, you can get for some of this, you can have something like the difficulty of a task. And then you can realize this task, according to this population of AI systems or machine learning systems, this is the most difficult task. But not because the score is 101 and the other is 80, but just how challenging, challenging it is for, for, for the systems. And you can also uh, determine the ability of the agents. Of course, this is a simplification because you, you can extract two latent variables, but you could do 10 latent variables to be. But these latent variables explain the behavior of these systems. For this set of tasks, and it gives you information for, for instance, the next competition. Which tasks are completely? You, you get some other, for instance, you can extract a, a third parameter, which is discrimination. You say, okay, this task is completely useless, because or sometimes you have some kind of a negative discrimination. This task is performed well by the by the bad methods, and the other way around. They say, okay, so what's the point of having this task here? Yeah, and that's that's something inherited from psychometry We have a question that you say, okay, good students are typically bad at that question. You remove that question. But it doesn't make sense. There's something, there's a, there's a catch there or something because people get confused because otherwise you wouldn't get an, an explanation. So all of things help us to understand a little bit better what is going on, especially when we have competitions, when we have benchmarks. And we've also applied that to, uh, to the Atari Games results. And see a little bit what, what's happening with some of the games and the difficulty of the games. And we can have a better understanding of the abilities and the problems of, of current technology. Of course, this is uh, this is not for first principle. This is experimental. But right. at least gives us more uh, understanding of what's going on than just looking at the results and the winner of a competition.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's a set of methods for essentially decomposing these results into kind of generating the tasks themselves or inferring the underlying task and their difficulty from the the results? Is that the right way to think about it?
1: It's, it's, it's a question of, De- trying to describe the tasks and mm, also the mm-hmm. participants with some kind of a latent latent variables that you you, right. you put into the models and then you estimate from the results and you say okay and these latent variables you can call them difficulty discrimination and uh, on the side of the techniques you can call that ability these factors of variables help you understand what's going on is that something that you do in some other uh, in some other scenarios It's, it's nothing really new for it is. But it gives you more understanding than just the, just looking at the matrix, mm. uh, or just a scale that you get from the performance. So it, 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 for many of these games, it doesn't make sense to, to make a, an average of the results. Some other, uh, in many papers, you have this comparison with humans, which is okay. For instance, you have 50 Atari games, and you have one technique, one machine learning technique, or, uh, and, and you have the results for each of them, and then you have the humans, the average human. Basically they have use uh, uh, so yeah. or maybe on, on Amazon Turk or, so, or whatever right. they have, and they have this average score. And you say, mm-hmm. we are superhuman on task one, we are we are subhuman on task two. Well, that doesn't say too much to me in a way yeah. they, because, well, uh, yeah. we. We are not able to solve these tasks in, in terms of the uh, human level, but we are not comparing also the the, the number of games that we are given to humans and the number of games that we are, are given. So it's not a fair comp- uh, comparison in the first place. It doesn't allow uh, us either to say, we are there are 50 games, we are above human on 40 of them, and we are uh, below hum- human on 10 of them. Perhaps there's such a system that 39. 11, and it's much better because the differences are much better. So we have a lot of, of discussion about how to integrate things that are not commensurate in a way, okay. when we put many, many tasks together. Okay. And all of these questions appear again and again, especially in benchmarks, competitions about people typically would like to have one kind of a single score or something like that. And, and looking at all these specific scores, is you, you don't get a lot of meaning. But if you just simplify, oversimplify to a single average score or something like that, then you you probably you miss a lot of information as well. So right. something in the middle that you can uh, summarize the the, the behavioral of these systems for, for this set of tasks that, that uh, help us to understand whether we are going in the right direction, we are still very far for to from solving the problem that we want to solve okay. and, all, and all of these things.
0: Interesting. So how about quickly uh, kind of a quick overview of the you know, the future directions and priorities? Where did that conversation end up?
1: Yeah, it was a very open discussion yesterday. At this <laughs> well, when you, you you set up a, a session with what they, what society needs, it's like, well, right, uh, right. A, everyone has a, a, a say here. And mm-hmm. but we had many questions as well, as well. And we had a, a panel for 40, 50 minutes. It was a very long panel, a lot of, of things. We, we, we touched upon many many topics but there was this, this idea of uh, having more human-like uh, AI rather than uh, complementary or not to what humans are, are able to do I think that there, there's no agreement there so if we uh, because computer science and AI one of the main goals have been automation of tasks right. So of course, it's good that the machines are able to do things that we can't do. That's great. But mm-hmm. we're also interested in some tasks that can be automated, and perhaps we can do some other things. Yeah. And But of course, you you have a lot of uh, implications about that, that this idealistic view that we want humans and machines to be complementary ethics is very idealistic, and that's a kind of... Uh, that, but that perhaps we, we we can focus on these things rather than just... So human-like intelligence is important, but another way, finding things that machines can do that we can't, that is not really human-like, this is also a, a, a very good direction. And there was also some more political questions about uh, domination power, power, uh, for instance, uh, corporations and organizations having a lot of power. There, were, there was a discussion not really in terms of AI companies and all that, which is, right. is a different debate, that we didn't touch that. But about this idea that in the future, uh, intelligence—intelligence has changed our planet—and having more of that intelligence or different kinds of of, of ways of extending the intelligence that we know of at the moment is going to transform everything. So we had a debate on all of these things that might be transformed, and also ethical things about uh, there was this. uh, this discussion about uh, bias in machine learning. Mm-hmm. So we had a little bit of everything. It was okay. about 40 minutes of discussion.
0: Oh, wow, wow. Do you, do you know if the symposium was recorded? Will people be able to find it afterwards?
1: Yeah, we've been told that it has been recorded. It was recorded. There was a camera there. Uh, so well, probably for, uh, it will take uh, a while to have it online, but we hope that everything will be online soon.
0: OK, great. Uh, it sounds like a really wide-ranging and interesting set of uh, questions that it raised, and uh, I hope it to get a chance to take a look at it. Thank you, Jose, for spending some time to chat with us. Uh, any uh, final thoughts or you know, ways that folks can uh, catch up with you or find out more about what you're doing?
1: Well, we are having some uh, probably some workshops next year, but just if you Google my name or you will find some of the things that we are working on and some of the projects uh, in the past years and now with the Center of the Future Intelligence, there are many things, many interesting things going on there.
0: Okay, awesome. Well, thanks so much.
1: Thanks for having me here and it's been a pleasure.
0: All right, everyone, that's our show for today. For more information on Jose or any of the topics covered in this episode, head on over to twimla.com slash talk 137. Of course, thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.